Our scripture reading this morning comes from Acts 2, found on page 1,694 in the Pew Bibles. We will be reading verses 41 to 47. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Amen. Will you join me in prayer? Father, open our hearts and minds to receive what you would have for us. Speak to us through your word this morning. May we be a people who are devoted to you first and foremost in all aspects of our lives. We lift these things up to you, Lord. Through the matchless name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I don't know if you are aware of this or not, uh, but college sports in the United States, they're a pretty big deal. Now, the NFL is still king. It's, it's number one when it comes to sports, but college sports, any sort of college sports, are a very close second. There's something about college sports teams that, that it ca- people, they just develop this fierce sort of devotion to their teams. I myself have been a lifetime fan of the Michigan State Spartans, coming from Michigan. That's, that's, uh, that's been my team. But my devotion to Michigan State, well, it pales in comparison to, to the devotion of my buddy John and his devotion to MSU. John attended MSU, so that, as you can imagine, uh, creates a, a certain amount of devotion in, in you. you know, the, your team becomes personal at that point. And, and Michigan State was very much personal to John. In the state of Michigan, there are, there are two main schools that, uh, that participate in collegiate sports. There are more, but, but there are two main ones, the University of Michigan and then Michigan State. And as you can imagine, when they, when they play each other, uh, it doesn't matter what the sport, everybody dawns on their, their Michigan or Michigan State apparel and and the devotion comes out, the trash talking, all this, it's unreal, quite frankly, as you can, you can imagine. Well, one such time when, when these two teams were playing each other, when University of Michigan was playing Michigan State in basketball, my buddy John decided that he was going to take a trip into the lines then and go down to the University of Michigan uh, when Michigan State was playing them on campus. And so he did. And as he was walking, he walked into the arena, he was surprised to look around and see that it was just 
filled with Michigan State fans. This, this would be like if, if, if the Oilers were playing the Flames and a bunch of Oilers fla- fans headed down to Calgary and to see, see them play, uh, the Oilers play Calgary in Calgary, and the Oilers fans outnumbered the Calgary Flames fans. <laughs> That's what it would be kind of equivalent to. And so it was a little shocking for, for John to see when he, when he came into the arena. Well, as he watched the game and watched Michigan State, of course, put the beat down on the University of Michigan, he thought to himself, hmm, what is a way that I can shame the home team, the rival, and show my sincere devotion to Michigan State all in one? And so as he thought about this, John was, he, his seats were in the nosebleed section. If, you've ever, if you ever have been to an arena, there are some stadiums, when you're in the nosebleed section, you are way up. So far up that, that you, can, you can not just see the rafters, but if you, were, if you were so brave, you could probably climb on them. And John just happened to be that brave that day. And so there's John with a sea of Michigan State fans around him climbing the rafters with his Michigan State flag in tow uh, and he hangs it on the rafters and the crowd loves it. They go wild. The arena security, on the other hand, did not go wild and they escorted my, my good friend John out of the stadium kicking him out, as well as giving him a year ban from the campus. (laughs) But not before he received a standing ovation from all the Michigan State fans that were present. He said it it was one of the most amazing acts he's ever done, much to the chagrin of his wife, who actually went to the University of Michigan. <laughs> but you may not have such a deep devotion to your sports team like my buddy John did. But we do have things in our lives that we are devoted to. Think about the time in your life when when you were set to 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 propose to your spouse. Remember the devotion and the feeling that you had inside that that caused you, that love that caused you to step up and ask the question. And from the other side of the coin, remember that devotion and that, that adoration that you had to respond with a yes and marry that person, knowing that you would have to be devoted to them for the rest of your life. Maybe, maybe it's your family. Maybe, maybe you're devoted to your family. Maybe, maybe you're, you're the type of person who works hard to provide for your family, to give your kids the things that they need. You're, you're the person who's home every night at 6 o'clock, put dinner on the table so that you can sit and enjoy a family meal together and converse and enjoy that time together. Or you're the type of person who is devoted to your kids to get them from point A to point B, from soccer game A to hockey game B, even if it's across town or across the country or the county. 
But maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's not family. Maybe it's not your spouse so much, but rather it's a devotion to what you do. Your job, your work. You're devoted in such a way that you pour yourself into your job. You pour yourself into your work. You do it well. And people notice. And you love it. You love your job. You love the recognition that you get. And you do it, and you do it well. All these things are good, and we should have a measure of devotion to all of them in our lives. There's no doubt about it. God has given us these sorts of things. But if they become the primary focus of our devotion, then we're only going to be left disappointed. In spite of what they say, I hate to break it to you, your spouse is not perfect. They're not. They will let you down. They won't return the devotion that you give to them. They'll say something that's hurtful. It just happens. Your family will not always be there. Your kids will be gone. And there will be a hole left in your life. Or even now, they'll just look at you like a taxi who gets them from one game to the next. And your job, your job will let you down as well. You won't get the recognition you feel you deserve for that project. You won't won't get that promotion you've been working so hard to achieve or that raise that you feel you deserve. Devotion is a a key word that we see in our text this morning. We see it twice in the text. Once in verse 42 and then also in verse 46, though you can't see it in the English. It's there in the Greek in verse 46. But going back to verse 42, we see that, that this group of people, this fellowship or early church, if you will, is devoted to three things. And so I want to take a look at these three things this morning and see if we can figure out what is going on in this beautiful picture that we see in Acts 2, 41 through 47. So first, we see that, that this, this group of people, this church, is devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. And why wouldn't they be? Think back to what brought them together, what, what tied them together. If we were to go back a few verses, we would see that, that what convicted them, what cut to the heart for this group of people was a sermon preached by the Apostle Peter. And the words that he said to them, it convicted them. It cut them to the heart, as the text says to us. Cut them to the heart so much that in that moment they were, oh, what, what is it that we are to do? What, do? what do you want us to do? They said to Peter. And Peter gave them an answer. He said, repent. Believe and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they were. And three thousand people were added to their number that day after a sermon. Talk about pressure for a preacher. (laughs) 
But it wasn't just that. It wasn't just the sermon. We see in verse 43, it says that everyone was in awe of the wonders and the signs that were being performed by the apostles. They saw these wonderful and miraculous signs happening in their midst. And so they were amazed by it. So often you hear people say, Man, if, we, if we had the apostles' teaching, if we saw the miracles and the signs that were happening way back then, well, of course we would be devoted to what was happening then. The reality is, we do have the apostles' teaching. We do have record of the miracles and the signs being performed that day in the Holy Scriptures. The same Holy Spirit that was poured out that day at Pentecost, the day this sermon was preached, is the same Spirit that that caused the people to remember and write down the words we have today in the Scriptures And that same Holy Spirit that caused the people to remember and write down what was written in the Scriptures is the same Spirit that is given to you and to me this day. The same Spirit that helps us to devote ourselves to the Apostles' teaching. Second, we see that this This is a group of people that was not only devoted to the apostles' teaching, this is a group of people that was devoted to, we're told, the fellowship and to breaking of bread. Now this breaking of bread, immediately in our minds, our mind automatically go almost, I think, to the Lord's Supper, to think that, that this is a group of people that were devoted to sharing in the Lord's Supper. And there's probably an element of that that we can, we can read into this some. But we've got to remember that the early church did the Lord's Supper a little differently than, than we do it today. They did it as part of big festivals of feasts that they shared together. Instead, what we should probably think more of when we see this is just the idea of sharing a meal together. The second, ask, the second time the word devotion is used in our text this morning is found in verse 46, as I mentioned. You can't see it in the English, but it's there in the Greek, the exact same word we see in verse 42. They were devoted every day and continually met together in the temple courts and shared meals together. Never underestimate the power of sharing a meal with someone. It's the opportunity to look across the table at them, to look them in the eye, to hear about their day, to share things. There's power in sharing a meal together, which is awesome because if you love food, you can do it all the time. But this is a group of people that were not just devoted to sharing food together. They were devoted to one another. So much so that it says that they had everything in common. They didn't consider anything their own, but rather shared it amongst the group. And whenever they saw a need, 
Well, they would sell something. They would sell possessions or property and fill that need. This is a picture of deep devotion to one another. And what a beautiful picture it is. Finally, we see that this is a group of people that, were, that was devoted to prayer, it says. And it's interesting to me, as I, as I was prepping for this, you look at this, the previous two things that they're devoted to, they're mentioned once again in, in verses 43 through, through 47. In some way, shape, or form, the idea is mentioned again. But the idea of prayer is not mentioned again in these verses. And as I was studying and prepping for this, I thought to myself, why? Why is that the case? That seems very odd. Prayer is so crucial. And there's probably a lot of reasons for that, but I kind of centered on two of them that I think we can understand today. We have to remember that the early church, that is what we see here, is a church that at this point in history, in Acts chapter 2, is, a, is really considered a Jewish sect. So that is, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a different section of the Jewish faith. And so that's how they, they worshipped in the temple courts, as we see. And so participating in that worship, they also likely participated in the temple ritual prayers as well. And so that participation is one aspect of the prayer life of this group, this early fellowship of the church. Secondly, we have to remember as well that this is, this is such an amazing time. This is a time when the Holy Spirit had just been poured out. The, apost- the apostles were there in their midst, preaching and teaching the word of God to them. And so the presence of God was so strong in their midst here in Acts chapter 2 and so new that in some ways I think that prayer almost, at least for them, becomes a given. They're so close to God. Why wouldn't they want to commune with him, to communicate with him Because that's what prayer is in the end. An opportunity for us to connect and communicate with the God who saves us. Now if we were to look at all three of these devotions, we could probably find several things that they have in common. But I want to focus in on one thing that they have in common. All three of these these devotions, all three of them, are acts that are selfless rather than self-centered. Let me say that again. They're acts that are selfless, that is something that is outside themselves rather than self-centered. Let me give you an example of this. Our culture very much promotes a a strong picture of self-centeredness. Sometimes in a good way, we need to be self-centered at times, but in a lot of times, a very bad way. If you were to go into any bookstore down the road in Red Deer or wherever, quite frankly, 
One of the biggest sections at the bookstore would be books on self-help. Self-help is is an opportunity for us to improve a behavior, to to gain a behavior, to change something about ourselves. We read a book and we hopefully learn how to do that. So you want to stop a bad habit? I'm sure you could go to chapters and find a book for that. You want to start a good habit? I'm sure there's a book for that. Want to be a good leader? There's a book for that. You, uh, you want to lose some weight? There are plenty of books for that. <laughs> Self-help is such a thing that is ingrained in our minds. Last year in the U.S., it was a $10 billion a year industry. And so that sort of thinking kind of perverts our mind in some ways, and self-help becomes the way that we approach texts. And so therefore, it also becomes a way that we often approach the Scriptures as well. We'll approach the Scriptures looking for it to change us, to change who we are, and and to to give us different behaviors or attitudes or, or, or things of that sort. And don't get me wrong, it will, but that's not the primary purchase of the Scriptures. That's not devotion to the Scriptures. That's devotion to what it can do. Instead, the Scriptures are God's story. That's part of what He has done and what He is doing. And we are called to be part of that. By all means, we, we can't participate in that and not be changed. But that's not the primary means of a devotion to the Scriptures. Secondly, we also approach our relationships, our fellowship, our, in, in the same sort of way, in a very self-centered sort of way as well. Think of... Think of your immediate or your closest friendships that you have. If I would have to guess, those friendships are friendships where there's lots of give and lots of take. You're able to pour into each other, and that person probably pours back into you as well. And those are wonderful, great friendships. We should have lots of them. We should. But that is a self-centered relationship in a good way, in some ways. But is that the only sort of relationship you have in your life? Do you have selfless relationships as well? Do you have relationships where you're pouring into somebody and you're receiving very little, if anything, back, but yet you're just giving and giving in a selfless sort of manner? This is the picture of fellowship that we're called to as we look at this text. This is the picture that we're called to in Christ as well. Now, Very often we approach this, this text in particular out of Acts chapter 2 and we, we say to ourselves, oh, that's such a beautiful picture of fellowship. How can we take what happened then and just transplant it to what's going on now. 
How can we do that? How can we take all the things that they were doing then and do them right here in Lacombe and wherever you are? How can we do that? I want to, I want to caution us against that a bit this morning. In some ways, that's admirable. We, we want to do what the Scriptures tell us, but in this sort of way, but is that the primary purpose that the, the writer Luke has for us in Acts chapter 2? And I would say, no, it's not. It's not the primary purpose by which he wrote this. Instead, it was an opportunity for us to see what this early church, what this early fellowship was centered on, what it was devoted to. And so I think the question that we need to ask is just that. What were they primarily devoted to? Well, the answer to that question, well, it comes in what brought them together. What convicted them through the Apostle Peter's sermon. It was a knowledge that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the Savior who came to forgive and save them from their sins. So my friends, this morning, we are challenged in the same way. We have to ask ourselves the question, are we centrally devoted and focused on our relationship to Jesus Christ in all aspects of our life? Jesus Christ who came, who lived the perfect life that we were called to live and then died the death that we deserved willingly taking our sins, our shame on his shoulders and going to the cross and enduring it for us. That's the gospel, my friends. That has power to change every aspect of our lives if we are devoted to it completely and fully. And so my question is, who are you devoted to? What are you devoted to? When we're devoted to Christ first, we can pour ourselves into others, into other relationships, receiving very little back because we know that Jesus Christ was poured out for us. We can devote ourselves to his teachings because we know that he is the God and Savior who saved us. And then we can devote ourselves to commune with him in prayer. All these things are just fruits of a relationship with the Savior who came and changed everything. Who are you devoted to? Are you willing to climb the rafters for Jesus Christ? Are you willing to devote yourself in all times, in all circumstances, to his gospel? Let's pray together.
Father, thank you so much for the grace of your gospel. That you came, you lived the life that we should have lived, and willingly took our sins on your shoulders. What a wonderful gift. What a wonderful grace that we are called to reflect. I pray that we would do it and do it well each and every day in all aspects of our life. May we be devoted to you as your church. We ask all this in your name. Amen.